0: Well, welcome to each one of you. It's uh, good to be here amen. man. And one of the high points uh, for me is meeting all of you, listening to, uh, to your stories. Today we're going to be uh, embarking on a, a section together dealing with lifestyle evangelism. And uh, as Dr. Nedley and I spoke about this uh, session, we were uh, under the understanding from the uh, I guess the Amen board who had talked about these themes, that we'd be looking at not so much how our lifestyle impacts evangelism, but the concept of ministering through lifestyle-oriented programs, how that would have a bearing on the evangelistic influence of uh, the work of health professionals. So that was the theme uh, for this morning. Dr. Nedley uh, has promised to join us. He had a conflict. Uh, earlier this morning so if you looked at your schedule and you said who is this guy up here he doesn't look at all like Dr. Nedley and that's why we're here he will arrive Uh, that's at least the promise and uh, if uh, you're like me sometimes you're at a conference and you're saying boy I wish I were in six places at once and uh, if at any point during this presentation you feel like, uh, boy, I'm in the wrong place. I didn't know what this was going to be about. I'm not offended at all. If you slip out and go into another room and if you then think, well, maybe I should be there. I, I heard uh, that Finley is going to share something and maybe that DeRose guy's done and Neil Medley's there and things have really picked up and gotten exciting, uh, you're welcome to come back in. I won't feel offended at all. Okay, but what we want to do is we want to invite the Lord to be with us here this morning because I don't know what you need, and uh, I don't know what I need to tell you, but we know the Lord knows why he's got us here together, so if you would bow your heads with me, please. Father in heaven, our minds have been drawn out to what you're longing to do through medical missionary work, and each one of us, to some extent, is... uh, is glimpsing that maybe we've seen it uh, played out in our practices in our home churches in our families and yet uh, there's a longing in our hearts for more there's a longing in our hearts to come into contact with you this morning in this session we ask for your blessing here with us in this room and with those others who are studying and praying together and uh, interacting as well at this very hour we thank you that we can trust you to guide now for we ask it in jesus name amen I felt it was an Abrahamic call, Abrahamic call, however you want to pronounce it. But I was there at Florida Hospital some uh, 12 years ago. I was uh, leading out in uh, what we'd say would be preventive medicine programs. I was the medical director for corporate and community services back in the late 80s and early 90s. And in that capacity, uh, things that happened throughout that hospital system in the area of smoking cessation and vegetarian nutrition schools, community health programs, community screenings, uh, all of these things were under the umbrella of my department. We were also involved with uh, occupational medicine services, especially in the preventive medicine realm. And so I was very busy at a well-established hospital. I was the medical director for a weight loss program that Florida Hospital had at that time. Uh, So it was a busy practice, it was a busy life, and uh, it was something that uh, had the the general esteem of uh, people in the community and my peers. And yet uh, there came a time about four years into that experience, I won't go into great detail with it, but uh, the Lord began to make it very clear that uh, my wife and I and our young child, Angela, who had been recently born, were to leave Florida Hospital. The Lord was making that uh, very clear to us. We didn't know where he was calling us to go, though. And uh, I submitted my resignation not knowing where I was going, only knowing that the Lord wanted us to leave. There were a number of invitations that had come to us. We had, uh, uh, I had worked at Wildwood uh, after, my, after I completed my residency in preventive medicine for a few years. And uh, so there were people in the sanitarian-type ministry who were talking with us, other opportunities... And as my wife and I prayed together, we, uh, we just didn't have clarity about how God was leading. We were finally looking forward to a time where we were going to be helping a ministry at a health fair, a large health fair, large professional uh, meetings. And uh, we took the weekend off before to, to pray, really to, to seek the Lord as to where he wanted us to go. And uh, as we were flying out on the plane, our daughter became quite ill. Her temperature was going up. Um, we realized it wasn't something that needed immediate uh, hospital attention. My wife's also a physician. But we ended up spending the next several days awake all night, and most of the day our daughter was very restless, and uh, she did fine. But we had very little time to, to pray in a concerted way. Uh, one of the options I was praying about at the time was uh, New York City. There was a ministry there called Living Springs. And uh, that was the place we were least interested in going. And I'd been uh, reading some uh, selective counsel about health work and about medical ministry. And uh, I even had a book, uh, New York City A Symbol. I said, listen, I'm not, I don't want to bring any of that stuff with me. I, and I brought uh, my Bible and a few volumes of the testimonies. And uh, that weekend, between uh, my daughter's crying and walking out with her outside and everything, I would occasionally open up a volume of the testimonies and I'd start reading something just totally different to what I was looking at. Maybe it was a ministering to individuals or something. And as I'd read through it, I'd come to something like this uh, The work in New York City is really uh, on my heart. Or uh, the need for the message to return to the East is. Uh, and I, I was reading all these things and it's. My wife and I were praying together. We were studying this. It was not the ideal situation. It just became very clear that the Lord was calling us there to New York City. And so we actually left Florida Hospital and uh, came to this small ministry that we knew was struggling, knew knew was uh, perhaps on the verge of going under. And I'm telling you this background because there's a very important thing that happened a short time after I arrived there at Living Springs. We had moved our belongings there to that... uh, uh, Outpost Center, as some uh, like to call it, and then we headed off to the uh, National ASI meeting that year. When we got back when we finally started getting settled, they had closed the restaurant and the city clinic. It was one of the things that attracted us there, and uh, I just remember very early in my experience, one day uh, going out in the woods there and saying, Lord, what was going on? I was so... I just felt this weight <laughs> of... Uh, Have the the medical evangelism calling of the church on my shoulder. That said, Lord, what are you doing? You know, why am I here? Why am I dealing with all this? And uh, the thought came to me very clearly that the Lord was not calling me, nor was He calling Living Springs to fulfill the whole health vision that He'd given to our church. He was calling me. To do what he was calling me to do right then, I still didn't know quite what it was at that point. But uh, the reason I tell you that story is, it seems there's often this tension in our experience where we see this kind of health counsel. You know, Dr. Barton was sharing this last night with us. You know, we look at this counsel that God's given us and we see where we're at today, and we say, "Well, well, I mean, how can we ever, you know, recapture that vision?" Well, the challenge to me individually and the challenge to each one of us is not that we individually or even as a group, amen, has to recapture that whole vision. We have to discern individually what God's calling us to do and to step out in faith to accomplish what he's calling us to do. And for some of us, that may be, you know, working at a large university hospital uh, doing surgery. And, you know, if I read the Spirit of Prophecy Council, that's not specifically what I see Ellen White Uh, calling us as a church to do, but it doesn't mean he hasn't called you individually to do that. Do you see my point? And so what I wanted to do as we kind of set the stage for uh, some sharing as well as some looking at the council is to really kind of backtrack and and, and look at some things that are foundational to the whole concept of lifestyle ministry. Because uh, although we heard Dr. Weaver speak this morning, although we... uh, uh, have some awareness of this concept of helping people make lifestyle changes, it seems that it's, it's almost a foreign concept to where most of medicine tends to uh, direct us. Are you with me on that? And so how does this fit into to Christ's example, the Christ model, and uh, I just wanna take a few minutes and try to quickly go through some things. And I realize that for most of you, this is probably a more review. But um, I think it's foundational and it's important. So first of all, uh, just a very simple concept that's not strange to any of us, and that is that Christ modeled what type of ministry—an integrative ministry, right? Mm -hmm. Blended, yes. His uh, His ministry was actually uh, designed to reach all dimensions of uh, of our human need. If we were to summarize the Messiah's ministry, if we were one of the gospel writers, we may have done it as, uh, as Matthew did. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So we see this, uh, this threefold aspect of Jesus' ministry. ministry teaching, preaching, healing. And uh, Matthew, later on, when he again wrote about Jesus' ministry, he again is very similar language about teaching and preaching and healing—all of these things that we see in the Scriptures as we read about the example of Jesus. There's really numerous examples of Jesus' uh, healing work, and that's not the point of going through this. These are, are familiar passages. Uh, the Gospels are familiar to us, and. Uh, we could look through example after example of how Jesus met the needs of people, how he ministered to them physically as well as emotionally and spiritually. Hundreds, thousands of people, whole villages were healed by Jesus during his ministry. I want to look at you go know a fascinating statistic to me. Just recently I actually picked up a, an evangelical uh, source book, on Nelson's Complete Book of Bible Maps, maps and Charts. And I found that they uh, went through the Gospels and they found that there were 37 miracles that they attributed to Jesus during his ministry. I went through each of those uh, miracles that they listed and 27 of those 37 related to Jesus ministering in a healing capacity, whether it was ministering to physical needs, whether it was casting out demons, curing illness, raising from death. 73% of Jesus' miracle dealt with needy people and their physical need. And so as we read the statement in the Spirit of Prophecy, Christ spent more time at healing than teaching. There's many uh, ways she's, she's put that concept, but it's borne out through a study of the Gospels. And you say, well, you know, the, the healing, uh, as we look at it, we look at Jesus' ministry, it doesn't really sound too much like lifestyle medicine, does it? I mean, it sounds like therapeutic uh, medicine. It sounds like acute care, dealing with physical... You say, well, Jesus wasn't uh, working out of a hospital. But it's interesting. Both what Jesus did and what the disciples did, they had this part and parcel of their ministry, this healing aspect. And so the 12 disciples, the 70, the Great Commission, at least in Mark's rendition of it, they all included healing along with spiritual ministry. And so, from this kind of background that I know we're, we're very familiar with, and I'm not going to go through all these passages, <coughs> but I want to take you really to this question: If healing ministry is what we're about, in the context of today's environment, in the context of today's professions—dentistry, medicine, nursing—it seems that the default is well, we're going to we're going to deal with people in the way that we best can. We use you know current. Uh, Medical technology, and I'm not speaking against that, but there's something that I I think we miss unless we stand back and look again at Ellen White's application to this gospel healing commission. And uh, I want to point out to you a couple of things that, uh, again, Uh, by way of review for all of us. First is that that Ellen White applied the example Christ said in his personal ministry and in the commission that he gave to his co-workers to the end time church. And uh, specifically, God saw us as a church, as Seventh-day Adventists being called to help ministry. Now, if we're to focus on Christ's example, we have many statements like this, and no, no doubt, I've inspired many of you to be in a healing profession. This is from Testimonies, Volume 9, page 170. Christ, the great medical missionary, is what? He's our example. He healed the sick and he preached the gospel. In his service, healing and teaching were linked closely together. Today, they are not to be separated. <coughs> There's a divine imperative that the prophet articulated Again, from the ninth volume of the Testimonies, page 127. Christ's example must be followed by those who claim to be his children. Believe the physical necessities of your fellow man, and their gratitude will break down mirrors. You've been hearing about that, right? It'll enable you to reach hearts. Consider this matter earnestly. Say, well, let, wait a minute, that's what we're doing, right? Isn't that what we do as doctors, as dentists? We meet people's physical needs. That doesn't sound... In most people's minds, that doesn't make an immediate connection with lifestyle ministry, does it? Lifestyle evangelism, sanitarium ministry as we portray it uh, often today, you know, people coming to a, a live in program, does that sound like we're, is that the best way to relieve people's physical necessities? Now, some of you may say yes, but I, am I, Am I connecting with you today? Am I making sense with my logic, or is it just my brain that's working strangely this morning? Do you you see what this would, as we read through some of this counsel, it would almost seem like, well, lifestyle ministry, a depression recovery seminar, a CHIP program, yeah, maybe you're meeting people's necessities, maybe you're meeting their needs, but wouldn't it just be better just to, uh, you know, be in something where people, like Dr. Weaver shared, you know, when they're when they're going when they need surgery, I mean, that's when they really recognize their need for God, right? If their cholesterol's high, I mean, you know, people can explain that away, or if their blood sugar's higher, their blood pressure. But I mean, they need surgery. We should all be surgeons, should not we? God calls for different dimensions of this ministry. This is an interesting uh, statement from Volume Eight, of the Testimonies: The Lord's people are to be one. There is to be no separation in his work. Christ sent out the twelve apostles and afterward the seventy disciples to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. And as they went forth preaching the kingdom of God, what was given to them? Mm-hmm. Power to heal. To cast out evil spirits. Again, this, uh, this common recurring theme. In God's word, teaching and healing are never to be separated. And what I would suggest to you is that the model that most of us come from, even if it's healing ministry, the teaching is not a part of it, is it? I mean, at least for me in medical school, there were some people that tried to model that. They tried to share with us some concepts of health education, but really the emphasis was on meeting people's needs from the conventional perspective of uh, standard of care medicine. And I'm not saying we should cast that aside. I'm just saying this other dimension of lifestyle ministry, it often does not uh, immediately approach us. but So it sounds like a call to common, conventional medical practice. And so the question is, well, what's the role of lifestyle medicine in this process? Where does this come up? Or does this have the divine endorsement? And I want to look with you just a, a, a few uh, statements that help us to understand what the prophet was speaking about when she spoke of medical missionary work. And then we want to look at some practical examples and, uh, and, and try to, to flesh this out a little bit more. So understanding medical missionary work. Uh, when Ellen White spoke of medical missionary work, I would suggest to you that she was looking at three dimensions to ministry. And you may say, well, it's more than three dimensions. You can but, but, but my conceptualization this morning, I, I'm looking at it this way, and, and I'll see if I can support that for you. She was including in this concept physical healing health education and spiritual ministry. They were all integrated in this concept when she spoke about medical missionary work. And if you want to look at a, at a case in point, where better to look than a publication that was published while Ellen White was living and that was called Special Testimonies Related to what? Medical missionary work. Don't you think if you read something written during the prophet's lifetime, it was advertised to the church, if you will, as dealing with medical missionary work, that if we looked at that, we'd at least get some idea of what she was referring to when she spoke of medical missionary work. There's another compilation uh, that was done shortly after uh, uh, Sister White passed from the scene, shortly after from the perspective of 2006, at least, and that was uh, this uh, uh, short pamphlet, A Call to Medical Evangelism and Health Education. A few statements from there as well. I chose not to use uh, councils on health and medical ministry uh, there's other statements that we can look at. There's other statements if we're a longer presentation today, we can look at this. But I'd suggest to you these focused uh, publications really underscore these three aspects to medical ministry physical healing, health education, and spiritual ministry. Let's look at those uh, together, if you will. The first one, uh, actually what I've done is grouped these into three sections, but I want to make one other point. The fact that these things are integrated, as you read through these statements, it's not like Ellen White is saying, in one place, do healing ministry, in another place, teach people health education, and in another place, do spiritual ministry. As you read through some of these sections and some of these selections that I have for you, you'll see that they're interwoven. She was looking at a a broad concept of medical missionary work that she wanted all uh, Adventists to embody, not just health professionals we can speak about that uh, if this would appropriate venue or if we want to dialogue about it. We want to give some time for interaction. So let's just look at a few of these uh, things together. Counsel indicating that treatment of physical illness was included and what Alan White understood to be uh, medical missionary work. Uh, here's a statement from that uh, special testimony relating to uh, medical missionary work. Both men and women can be so much more useful as medical missionaries than as missionaries without the medical education. More direct efforts must be made to interest the proper persons, setting before them the advantages of what? The advantages that every missionary will have in understanding how to treat those who are diseased in body, as well as minister to sin-sick souls. So speaking especially from the standpoint of evangelism and ministry, she says you need to integrate the healing aspect with it. And this is a treatment, treating illness in this context. An intelligent knowledge of how to treat disease upon hygienic principles will gain the confidence of many who otherwise would not be reached with the truth. I don't want to belabor these statements because the concept of physical healing I think is something that we intuitively connect with health ministry. But let's look at this uh, the second aspect. And that is when Ellen White spoke of medical missionary work, she was speaking of understanding, practicing, and teaching health principles. You can't divorce that from treating uh, patients, if you will, from ministering to their physical needs, and so let's look at this—a clear call to lifestyle medicine education. This is again from special testimonies relating to medical missionary work. Page four. If we would elevate the moral standard, where
1: mm-hmm.
0: in any country where we may be called to go, we must begin by doing what? What is this? Correcting their physical habits. How do you correct people's physical habits? Does that sound like health education, lifestyle medicine to you? Virtue of character depends upon the right action of the powers of the mind and the body. There are more appeals, though, in these uh, councils for lifestyle medicine. How about this one here? I plead that there be a general awakening among us as physicians and dentists. Is that what As a people... The Lord was calling back then for us as a Seventh-day Adventist movement to do what? Have a general awakening as to what? In the strength that Christ imparts, we should be able to teach others also how to wrestle with those passions which the light of heaven shows them must be worth. What is this talking about? know the passions that must be worked? Is that speaking of lifestyle lessons? The restoring influence of health reform. Ellen White spoke about this. The principles of health reform are found in the Word of God. The gospel of health is to be what? Firmly linked with the ministry of the Word. It's the Lord's design that the restoring influence of health reform shall be part of the last great efforts to proclaim the gospel message. This is from A Call to Medical evangelism. page 8. You know, I actually have dozens of statements Uh, that we could go through, but that's not what I wanted to do today, and I don't think that's best in our interest. I want to take some time and and share and dialogue with some of these things, about some of these things. But you know, Ellen White, if you study through this, lifestyle medicine, she speaks about it being the ideal pre-work for evangelism. But you know, she also speaks about in the context of evangelism, if we're involved with lifestyle ministry convicting people about their
2: health habits and errors of their health ways that this will really add power to our individualistic efforts. You read that statement? Yeah, I can give you some of these things if you're interested, or if you're interested in all
0: this material, afterward, I'm happy to give it to you. At this point, though, I wanted to invite uh, Teenie Finley to come. Is this a good, it's not a good time to invite you? fine. Okay, I knew you were prepared to come up, and, uh, you know, Teeny you uh, I represent the physician and for those of you that, uh, that don't know me uh, and came in a little bit late. That's my background. I, I have my boys in maternal medicine and also in later preventive medicine. So I'm here as a health professional like many of you, teenie. Uh, do you have any health degrees? No. Actually, but you're more qualified in health matters than, than many people because you've been active in health ministry. Right? Active in health ministry?
3: education major and in high school and grade school for three years. Went into ministry with my husband and went back and did a degree in personal ministry since that's my life and so, uh, and also communication since that's so firmly connected with evangelism and so I have no health degrees. Well, you know, <laughs> um, have done health programs, but uh, we hide behind the health professionals and people respond.
0: You know, the thing, though, that, that's inspired me about uh, you and Mark and the vision you've had is for, I mean, I've, I think I first met you in the uh, in the 70s and in Chicago, and you folks, you know, always saw health ministry as being part of the evangelistic work. And so I think most people in this room, if not all of them, recognize that, but the Lord's been doing some interesting things in your life, and I, I wish... From the standpoint of uh, medical evangelism and lifestyle ministry, if you'd share kind of a little bit about your background and where you're at today, how the Lord's been leading and what's inspiring that
2: vision.
3: Well, we um, started our ministry um, in 1967, and actually, um, the first district that we had, the conference president said to my husband, um, Mark, we need some young blood in this church because you have three churches and one meets in the morgue in the graveyard, the other one's half dead, and the other one we're not sure we might close down. And so we'd like you and your wife to go and bring some life. And so we arrived in our first district in Punnabogh, Connecticut, after working with Elder O.J. Mills in Hartford, where I was teaching school and Mark was the intern. Uh, pastor there, and we started in this district. And my husband was so excited about his first sermon that he said to me, um, he said, "I want to practice on you. Now come downstairs. I want to preach my sermon to you." So I went downstairs, and he preached his powerful sermon. And he he came to church the first Sabbath, and he's looking out the window, and all of a sudden the um, Deacon, who was the only one there at that time, looked out the window and he said, "Well, Pastor, I sure hope someone shows up today. And that was his first words, and so we thought we need to go out on the highways and byways, I guess, and get people. So we put an ad in the paper, a little ad for Bible studies, and we prayed that God would put at least two or three of those responses in our mailbox every day. We started reading the council. And we realized that maybe God wanted us to include health evangelism as well. We had learned a little bit from Elder O. J. Mills and Doctor Agatha and who had worked with Elder Mills. And so we thought we would do a cooking school. And but we didn't know what to do. I mean I had never seen a cooking school before and I really I didn't know what to do, so we just planned it and and I'm sure I at that time I thought it was a total disaster. I mean, I didn't know how to organize the church, I didn't know how to organize the school, but I did some simple demonstrations, my husband did some health talks, and um, uh, it, we just were surprised, people came. And this lady came up to me and she said to me, I have a question for you. Would you tell me why you're doing this, this program? Now, I'm a young preacher's wife. We're in our first district. I don't know why I'm doing this, really. And so I said, well, I because I think, you know, we are three-dimensional beings. We're physical, mental, and spiritual, and I just think that we should help people physically, but also spiritually. And I thought, oh no, I blew it. I don't know. I told her the wrong thing. And so... She said, well, do you get Bible studies? And I said, well, yeah, my think it's Bible studies. Now, I teach Bible study ministry today. But at that time, I thought only Mark Finley did the Bible studies. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that we as lay people could do that. And I'm sharing with lay people now the excitement of that. So um, we went to Joanne's house. And we started giving Bible studies to her. She said, my husband is a high school teacher in town and hes I'm sure he's never heard this. This is so exciting. Do you think that you could study the Bible with him too? And he, and he said, of course. So he started studying with Dave and Joanne and they um, actually, they, they just were so excited that after about uh, nine months they were baptized. They witnessed to his parents, he started studying with them. And then we uh, started studying with his uh, sister and her husband, six people out of that disastrous cooking school, and that just opened the door for us to say, God, this is a lot of work. You know, nutrition classes are a lot of work. You've got to be prepared. And we started doing nutrition classes. We started doing stress management classes. We started doing weight management classes. We didn't know what we were doing. I mean, my husband's a preacher. I was an elementary education teacher. I- we didn't know, but we started doing this, and we saw that truly, truly this opens the door. Well, to make a long story short, that led us from there, we were led to lwd for z at Wildwood, and my husband accepted a call. Through the conference, uh, Georgia One Conference, we started working with him. We worked with. We, we met Elder Tyndall. I didn't know who Elder John Tyndall was at the time, but God um, opened my mind after, as I read about the work of Elder Tyndall. But uh, um, Elder Tyndall, as you know, was the one that was commissioned to follow. The vision of Ellen White in 1910, where she saw that there needed to be a decided change in evangelism and that we needed to include physicians and nurses and call porters and teens and Bible instructors and this whole thing. And so, um, Elder Tyndall's last meeting that he ever attended, I'll never forget it. Elder Tyndall was 93 years old, and my husband had a uh, a, um, a lecture on spiritual things, and I had a simple demonstration. Still didn't really know all that I was doing, but uh, still I'm learning. And so, uh, and, and Dr. Hansen had a, um, uh, a lecture on health, and I will never forget, as El Tindall that night, threw his arms literally around my husband. I can picture him. I wish I had a physical picture but I have it indelibly impressed on my mind. And Elder Tyndall threw his arms around my husband, 25, we were 25 years old at the time, and said, Brother Mark, my dear Brother Mark, this is what the prophet commissioned us to do. You are young, go and do and fulfill this. And so we worked in Chattanooga. We were trying to do five day plans to stop smoking. We hardly knew how to do that. We we were trying to do these health programs and other things. And then one night, my husband came home and said, I believe God is calling, October 23, 1973, I believe God is calling us into full-time evangelism. But we're not going to tell anybody. Only the Lord has to answer that prayer. We're at Wildwood. How is God going to call us into full-time evangelism? that night, we prayed for two hours, saying, God, if you want us in full-time evangelism, teach us how to do this. And make it your will. And October 26, the next day, we got a call from the Southern New England Conference saying, Mark, we would like you to come as conference evangelists. My husband said, First of all, I can't come for nine months. I'm at an educational program here at Wildwood. And uh, also, I've been reading the council in the book Evangelism. I've been working with Elder Fazee, with Elder Tyndall, And he said, I have a whole new idea of evangelism. I'm reading the books and I want to follow the books. And they said, Mark, we want to hear what you have to say. And, and so he shared more. And they said, Mark, we'll wait. We want you to come. Well, that led to us developing a team that we brought with us there, our first team of uh, four young people, then five living in our home. We bought a home. Uh, because you see, the first district was so far down, the conference said, we won't buy a parsonage, you have to buy your own home. Well, that was God's you know, way of getting us started, and then we bought a home there, and these young people lived in our home, and uh, we had to feed them all. We froze and canned 3,000 quarts of fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. a year, and, and we lived off the land, and, and we were on the road five days in evangelism, and a day off, and a home day. That was our schedule for five years in public evangelism. And we realized that the health was an integral part. And so we began inviting physicians to come with us. We invited health professionals to join us. And we could see that this was this is God's plan. And, um, and I am convinced after 32 years, we've been in evangelism 32 years, and we haven't mm-hmm. done everything we'd like to do, and we've, we've been trying to train and equip people all over the world uh, we see god blessing you when know, we had the privilege of starting the soul in the institute and also integrating the health but i'm convinced that there's an aspect that we even have there are many things that god is teaching us but that we have to learn and the threefold and she says there's another threefold ministry uh dr Mentioned the threefold ministry and I'd like to just quickly mention the threefold ministry that she talks about in volume nine and it's uh, on page 169 and she says if ever if ever the Lord has spoken to me if ever the Lord has spoken to me he speaks when I say that the workers engaged in educational lines in ministerial and in medical missionary lines, must stand as a unit, all laboring under the supervision of God, one helping the other, and each blessing the other. And so, and we've read the council on every church should be a training school for Christian workers. And so at this point, um, we just, you know, are trying to train and equip people, but we also, uh, in just a few days, and just a few weeks now, I'm going up to Portland, Maine, and I'm presenting, and I've been presenting with them, and we're going to, we want to have uh, this union. We want to have a three-fold union. And so we have at least four phases that we're working on right now. There's counsel in here of how power is going to come back to the East. Ellen White says, repeat the message, repeat the message, repeat the message. I was told, repeat the message where it first began, Portland, Maine, go back where the message was once preached and people will hear it and respond. And that's my home, Portland, Maine. And so I said, Lord, I wanna do something. Those people ministered to me at 14 when I became an Adventist. And I wanna do something. And so we're gonna do it with phase one is setting up a training school in the Portland church. But I don't mean just go and train people, but I mean setting it up like a church, like a school, she says, Every church should be a beehive of activity, and we should have people learning hydrotherapy, people learning cooking schools, how to do go door to door, how to minister, how to minister to the sick, and how to minister to the poor, and how to do all these programs. So I want to, you know, we're setting up a school. Phase two and three is the educational and evangelistic and we've been working with AUC and just have voted that AUC is going to join with us and send some students for a field school there. God is already blessed in that phase. Someone has donated a sizable amount of money because we want to go and rent a house like our early pioneers did and house these young people and and teach them evangelism, get them involved. We want to teach these people call for them and do what the council's and teach them medical evangelism and how to do medical evangelism and then um and phase three is is connecting that with a series of evangelistic meetings which we're doing we have been doing for 32 years that we're going to do out of the university of maine and auditorium and um actually i'm going to do that series not my husband mark finley but uh I'm going to do that I'm training lay people how they can actually preach these messages powerfully um, and we've, we have them in the format now where a lay person can actually preach them powerfully and then um, phase four is where we would like to raise up a new church from that somewhere in the area we only have one church in the Portland area we'd like to raise up a church and, but with that we want, we'd like to do even more we'd like to follow the council we on that church. We have, we have a, a center where people can come for health expos, for for um, cooking schools, for health lectures, for training, for hydrotherapy. She says we should have a treatment room on the side of the church where people. That could be a feeder into uh, a sanitarium, and um, and so uh, we have, uh, and I'm. Sharing with the conference on October 17th, uh, with the entire conference there, and they're behind this. So we see, Doctor, um, that the minute it's time for us to join hands with the minister, Doctor, medical team, medical ministry team, and we've been trying to do that, but we want to share that more. My husband has the same burden now. Uh, we, we, we believe that there are many things we have seen in our ministry, literally scores, hundreds, I don't even know how many people have come uh, to this message through the health message. And so we're excited about um, some up-and-coming plans that we believe will help uh, join the medical evangelistic together and also the educational and also uh, have our church as a training school uh, for Christian workers so we're just excited about what what God has in store and uh, looking forward to his blessing
0: thanks for sharing your vision you. Tini before you leave uh, this is really the the commission that I think you know if you've, any of you have been to some of the previous amen meetings you've heard some dialogue where uh, well, you know, should we have ministers here? I mean, after all, the vision is that uh, physicians and you know other health professionals should be working with ministers, and you know we're glad that we have uh, you know people like the Finleys and Elvin Wilson is here uh, this year, and Don McIntosh and others who uh, you know are sharing from the ministers' perspective. But we've had this kind of tension because on one hand we want to cultivate evangelism among health professionals. And on the other end, we really see this calling as health professionals, uh, not to be islands, not to be the, uh, the medical professional evangelist, although there is that calling in the spirit of prophecy. Ellen White was burdened in her day that things were keeping physicians from being evangelists. There's statements like that. But at the same time, it's this, this dialogue. And I Neil has joined us, Dr. Nedley. I, I mean, it seems like this is appropriate while Teeny's here to maybe open this up, Neil, I know you have some other comments you want to make and some things you want to share from your experience, but maybe at this juncture uh, to kind of open up the floor. I mean, some of you came here expecting something. You've either been getting that or you're disappointed, and you can redeem the time now by <laughs> raising your hand and <laughs> saying, well, this is what I need. I mean, well, what are we talking about all this stuff? Or Do you have some Either feedback from what we've been talking about or where you feel we should be going. And Dr. Nedley is a very responsive, impromptu uh, speaker and he's got a lot of experience, so he can kind of tailor his comments especially to your interests. The question's for Tini. How,
1: uh, how can you sell this idea to the pastors? Uh, um. It seems like when I, whenever I want to start some health evangelism, why it seems like sometimes they feel like you're treading on their time and their territory
3: my work on a daily basis is with pastors and lay people and um i actually share the five keys to successful evangelism and um first one of course is spiritual revival and, um, and until we have pastors training uh, or Going through spiritual revival, and then the second one is training and equipping, and that's what the pastor is to do. The pastor, if you look at um, Ephesians, uh, it's pastors who are teachers, Ephesians 4. Um, it's, uh, and, and so we're training them and hoping to revive them uh, through some of this, but it, it there, there are some challenges, but I just came back, I have to tell you, from Melbourne, Australia, from Australia, where we have the whole conference involved in getting, they say, it can't be done in Australia, it's too difficult, too hard. Um, I taught door knocking there, went out myself with them, said, I want to learn, I want to go door knocking, uh, they call it door knocking, we call it door to door in the States, and uh, took them out, first three people. First three cards, the cards, these very cards. First three cards, three Bible studies. I don't have that kind of statistic in the United States. And um, then we went cold turkey, just doing surveys. And, and we teach them how to drink. We had scores of pastors and lay people coming together, learning. And so when our leadership, the conferences, I know that I'm going to Northern New England Conference. The conference is open there. To uh, in our, on that we're asking pastors who want to come we don't want those that are fighting and against it, but those that believe in it to come, and we're going to share how to do it, so we believe that, the, that, that we're a team we don't want to be fighting one another, we don't have time for that we need to be battling the enemy and so I believe that we need to teach spiritual revival first that's my opinion, and when we're spiritually revived, something will happen Spiritual revival, and then training up to equip our our lay people because they want to work for Christ, but they don't know how. We're to told, and so um, that, that's some of the things that we're doing to make sure the physicians have things that they help. If there are there are some cognitive
4: distortions out there in regards to uh, the health message in our church. You know, I was uh, attending an evangelistic series. Uh, just briefly, it was at my home church, and I was supposed to speak in the Detroit area that next day, and I slipped in before Sabbath, and I wanted to go to my home church. The evangelistic series was going out there, and David Asherick was preaching. David Asherick, by the way, came in through the health message. You know, he was a punk rocker, who was, was attracted to the health message first, and uh, attended a vegetarian restaurant, and through a, uh, a woman that's now uh, running a vegetarian restaurant in my town, uh, he came in and about 50 or 60 other punk rockers uh, came in so sure to the through that. So he had a real love for the health message and this was the event, he was going through an evangelistic series, he was giving the health message uh, component that evening and I didn't realize this was a large church, or a 500 seat church and I just slipped in, in the back But he saw me slip in, i and he uh, gave my name, etc. So people knew I was there. And the head elder uh, came up, who actually was the uh, more than just the uh, head elder, he was a pastor, uh, kind of a pastor of that church, uh, and came to me and said, you know, this is the single reason why we don't have more Seventh-day Adventists, because this health message turns people more off from Adventism than mm-hmm. anything else. <laughs> and he was totally combative. Uh, what had taken place there. Mm. And, uh, and so there are, I think, part of that reason, unfortunately, is also due to us because we haven't been doing health evangelism the way it should be done. And so sometimes people have this limited experience how health turns off, and then they apply that to the broad sector and totally uh, amputate the right arm uh, of the gospel. And we really need to do our best to combat those distortions as we combat that by by showing how the right arm can work to open doors to the gospel. In regards to uh, one of the things that we have been somewhat successful in doing, and this is kind of a sidelight. in regards to uh, the spirit of prophecy, I'm often invited to uh, come to some very, um, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, some very non-spirit of prophecy, believing Adventist churches, uh, through help, uh, and uh, I'm often asked to, to speak their sermon after their big syncopated rock and roll service for uh, 20 minutes, etc., uh, and then I go up there, and what I do is present the scientific element, and then after the scientific element, uh, then put a spirit of prophecy statement up that says it better and science just written in the New England Journal of Medicine next week, and after that process is repeated several times, these minds who have been uh, thought to be very educated start to recognize that maybe we have been missing something uh, in this. And uh, one uh, very liberal venue that I was at, uh, I know I knew I was pushing the envelope because I just, uh, in regards to the music issue itself, I talked about. Uh, the music and the type of music that improves frontal lobe function, how the syncopated rock and roll doesn't improve it, etc. Uh, and it was just giving them scientific evidence, then the spirit of prophecy statement, etc. And uh, at the end of that, I was wondering how this was going to be received. But uh, there was a large group that gathered around me. They didn't have me walk to the back of the church like you normally would. You just kind of stand there afterwards. And there was a large group around me, and this one man pushes himself kind of at the front and says, are you the doctor? Are you the doctor? And uh, I said, well, yes, I am. But there was someone else who was talking to me. He still interjected and in. he says, I want everything that you have. And, uh, and then he still realized he wasn't getting my attention. So he says, I'm Paul Harvey. And I looked at him and I thought, <laughs> is he telling me the truth? And then he introduced me to his wife, uh, who was also uh, uh, there at that particular service. And his response, everyone could hear in the group. And uh, as a result of that, the entire group started to be recognizing their need for the spirit of prophecy, actually, even though that's what Paul Harvey was interested in as well. So kind of a sidelight is, as we do this work in accordance with God's will, we can increase the faith in the prophetic gift that God has given our church. Counsels on the work. This is an interesting phrase. This is a phrase from Ellen White that has no greater possibility. Quite the phrase. I'll show you that phrase in a little bit. Sanitarians are needed in which successful medical and what type of work? You know, this is my my pain in regards to all of this. We have some great lifestyle centers that do lifestyle medicine preventive medicine. We have some great But you don't see anyone really doing in a comprehensive way. And then when you put evangelism with it, you can can see how we are missing uh, some elements here. And if we can put it together, and this is one of my visions for amen, if we can put this all together uh, in accordance with God's will, we will see things such as none of us have experienced in our lifetime. These institutions conducted in accordance with the will of God will remove prejudice all our work in the favor of know the highest name of the workers in these institutions is the spiritual health of the patient. What's the highest name of the workers? Mm-hmm. Not the physical or even the mental health, the spiritual health of the patient. The primary, highest name. Successful evangelistic work can be done in connection with medical engineering work, It is as these lines of work are united that we may expect to gather what type of fruit? Mm-hmm. The most precious fruit. In another place, she says, the highest classes are neglected by our church. She, she talks about the neglected rich. And she talks about the way to reach the neglected rich is actually through health. They all have health concerns that they will get sick at some point in time. And this is when their uh, mind can be open to the gospel message. But it includes medical and surgical work. God designed the sanitarium, which he established in Stanford, to the beacon of life of warning and reproof. This is something that uh, is also paradoxical in a way. And I like to, you know, I gave the music issue. I've actually uh, described and helped people see the music issue, I think, clearly by the diet issue. Which person do you think, or which average, uh, if you take a group of people, the average, which group do you think has more variety in their diet, the vegetarian or the average meat eater? average vegetarian by far, more variety, but yet you're cutting out a whole element of the diet. You're restricting, but yet as a result of that restriction, you're having more variety. Which group do you actually think has more taste in their diet? Actually the vegetarian by far. And the same is actually can be true with music. You know, a lot of people in the, uh, when they think of classical traditional music, they think of funeral music. Because it's the only time they've heard it. The time they're most likely to hear classical music in their life in today's society is when they attend a funeral. Just about every funeral will have uh, will have classical music. There'll be more funeral type of music. But did you know there's more varieties within classical music than there is all the other music? and of course not only the variety but the enjoyment, of the frontal lobe enhancement, etc. And such, such it is with God's plan. Even though God's plan seems restrictive on the surface mm-hmm. and thus it seems like it's impingent on our freedom it actually opens up freedom. Uh, we tell, talk from the same standpoint in regards to uh, you know, mangoes versus tobacco you know uh, God's uh, plan mangoes, can be broccoli or whatever, uh, we can have the freedom to choose some very good things that God has provided. But yet, if I tell someone, and my wife is actually addicted to this, I know my experience, I'm not addicted, I should say, allergic to, my wife is allergic to mangoes. When we found that out, and I told her she couldn't eat mangoes anymore, there was no sweat pouring out of her uh, body, Uh, there wasn't this great, shaking, and chilling in regards to how in the world am I going to be able to live a happy existence without anger? She liked them. She was disappointed in him. But God's choice is we can have complete freedom to choose and we don't have to go through with wrong. The devil's choice is, you know, he tempts individuals with exercise your freedom and go my way but then as a result of going his way he ensnares them and wraps steel cords around the individual so even if they want to change, they can't. Really, it's impossible for them to change without the power of God working in their life. It's not something they have true freedom uh, over, per se. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the difference between God's way and the devil's way. The devil's way it tempts us with greater freedom, but in reality takes away our freedom uh, so that's why I should stand forth as a beacon of life, warning and reproof. He would prove to the world that an institution conducted on religious principles and asylum for the sick could be sustained. Without sacrificing its peculiar holy character, mm-hmm. they could be kept free from objectionable features of the institutions. It was to be an instrumentality to bring about great reform. Wrong habits of life should be corrected, the moral elevation faith and the reform. And I'm involved in an institution uh, currently where there's a discussion in regards to um, making the Sabbath now as any other day, uh, so to speak. Just not uh, having that. a promise. Uh, But uh, in our institutions, we can have uh, our peculiar beliefs as part of it and principles, and God can bless us if we do it in accordance with His will and make it even All the directions He has given are to be carefully observed and greatest to that which may seem the least. A lot of people believe there's certain elements of the health message that we shouldn't teach. Or there are certain doctrines that we hold here that we shouldn't teach. Uh, but if you remember Christ's words, uh, he said in Matthew, uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I can do We need to do it the right way. Like the religious influence of a Christian home for the sanitary, and this will be conducive to the health of the patient. So teaching them to observe all things Religion of Christ is not to be placed in the background as holy principles lay down the means of approval. of any class popular, talk The standard of truth and holiness is lower. The design of God will not then be carried out in this institution. Again, the standard of truth put forward. Then the design of God can be carried out. So don't lower the standard. It's not reaching the lowest common denominator that's going to bring through unity. It's actually truth that will bring unity this is where we need to be united Now this is something that's important to recognize as well. The peculiar face should not be discussed with patients. The mind should not be unnecessarily excited upon subjects wherein we differ and let they themselves desire it, and then great caution should be observed not to agitate upon my person upon our peculiar mm. uh, I was connected with an institution. I won't uh, name the one, uh, but just a, a, an example of showing you. Uh, this physician, uh, well respected, many of you would know him, he's not uh, here attending this conference, uh, was uh, found uh, actually giving a study on Daniel 2 to a patient in his office and was reprimanded uh, for it by uh, the administrative team because he was teaching Adventism. Well, Daniel 2 is not Adventism. Actually, Long before there was a seventh Adventist, uh, Daniel 2 was taught in the correct way, mm-hmm. all the way back to Tertullian. To, to uh, it's true, it's Bible truth, it gives us confidence that God has a plan for this world, a plan for our life, and sometimes what happens is, and of course the individual who ended up uh, uh, who, who criticizing the individual, uh, or criticized the doctor for giving that particular later on it was found out what had happened and that individual defended himself by saying well we as Adventists are the only ones that teach Daniel 2 so we I would still call it unique and Seventh-day Adventists. Well, uh, we need to be careful along some of these lines uh, because Daniel 2 is not something that has a testing proof as part of it so to speak and it really is something that, uh, that we can teach freely. Uh, to uh, individuals, and in particular when they asked about it. This wasn't a public discussion, it was right in the office. And so you can see a little bit about why you see the, the threats to this threefold union, so to speak, uh, when when we have areas of, of discussion and reprimand, even in regards to that. Uh, then great caution should be observed not to agitate the mind by urging upon the market to Health Institute is not the place to be forward to enter into the discussion upon points of our faith wherein we differ from the religious world generally. Prayer meetings are held at the Institute, which all may part, take part of the choose, but there is an abundance to dwell upon in regard to Bible religion without touching objectionable of difference. Silently, it's in the more important And so these institutions are not to be forward in that regard. Now, if they come to our church, she talks about how we can talk about these points very freely, and that is my uh, but in the health institution, it's to be the entering wedge, and not the place where controversy uh, comes in. And she talks about people who can't understand that really shouldn't be part uh, of the meeting. uh Let's see if I can find the need. to well, this talking of about how the patient gain confidence, mutual confidence is increased, prejudice is weakened, in many cases entirely removed, and then there is is a desire and anxiety to attend a Sabbath meeting there in the House of God to, to speak our denominational And we need to speak them widely, but we can speak them there. I've been involved in some churches who feel, in fact, uh, you know, I, as I'm called to speak in a lot of different churches, the most common comment that I get that before I'm called out to speak, or they concern a concerned member of the church will come up and say, Dr. Mendel, you need to understand there are non-Seventh-day And I say that's good. I'm very glad. And we'll certainly keep them in mind. In our church, in Ardmore, Oklahoma, we'll have between five and ten non-Seventh day Adventists attending any poor Sabbath. And we're we're very uh, used to that and very much enjoy that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue to lead them forward in regards to truth. Uh, And uh, again, we don't want to get to the lowest common denominator. The world looks favorably on some of our methods and ideas, but we must not let the what of the world seduce us? Flattery. We must not depend upon human favor or patient success. Like a mighty believer, the truth has taken us out of the quarry of the world to be the destroyer people of God. We cannot afford to assimilate with the world. We must not compromise one principle of truth or yield one position to gain the favor of the world. All oh, for a life consistent with our faith, no portion of the Lord's vineyard has greater possibilities of doing good than the what? There's the quote. No portion of the Lord's vineyard has greater possibilities of doing good than the sanitarium. And of course, that sanitarium again, not just the lifestyle center, but that was a prominent part of it. Medical work, surgical work, and evangelism being done. And with us. And I would like to. I know we have some young people here today, some medical students, some residents, uh, and also those of experience. But I would like to uh, have you have that burden as well uh, as we go forward to, uh, to really develop this plan. In accordance with that. Well, we do have uh, some extra time too, but I would like to hear from you as well. Any comments? Questions? suggestions, uh, concerns that you'd like to address to Dr. DeRose and myself,
2: or even Well, We talk about a health message, uh, diet, tobacco, alcohol, drugs, but it seems to me there's an extremely important, what I would call soporific or addictive hallucinogenic out there, and that has to do with entertainment, television, movie industry tremendous impact, negative impact it seems on our society. Are we including that in the message? Yes, the lifestyle?
4: yes. Should that be included in the message? What do you all think? <laughs> yes. Yes. Actually, I've encouraged, and some churches have taken me up on my encouragement, uh, I've ensure, encouraged them to hold five-day plans to stop watching children. Uh, actually, uh, the churches who have done that, the news media has shown up and had a part of the evening news, what is going on in this church, a five-day plan to stop watching TV. <laughs> but the people realize, generally, that entertainment TV isn't good for them, because they don't know how to get away from it. Uh, they don't know what to substitute it with. Uh, and, of course, along with that is in regards to Internet. Internet addictions are dramatically increasing. We're also uh, seeing the, uh, the adult pornographic world uh, addition dramatically increasing as well. And uh, these, of course, fit very long, well in regards to our mental health aspect of things as well. And our message uh, for overcoming these things is, uh, is clearer, really, in our church than they are in any other denomination. You know, comprehensive way of overcoming Yes? Neil, you know, do, do that five-day it's very important. Give them people a list of things to do in a place mm-hmm. you to That's do. right. Because most of them don't have to do what to do. That's right. And give them a list. Yes. We uh, uh, we have thirty different things that they can do that enhance frontal lobe function. Entertainment television actually detracts from frontal lobe function. And of course what this is one of the reasons I'd like to uh, uh, you know just bring up of course, uh, there's different varieties that you can do it, but one of the most successful things that we have been able to do in the community and bridge it over to the church are the mental health education programs. Uh, we've used it in regards to the depression recovery <coughs> programs, but in depression, there's a 40% decrease in the circulation of frontal lobe, blood flow, activity, and we're up front about that. The frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. After that program, the least that we've had people come to our follow-up annual seminar is 50 percent of the attendees. Most of the time, it's 80 percent of the attendees, and that's much higher than you'll get in any other health program that you do, as far as bridging the gap from health to him, uh, so to speak. Uh, they recognize their need for it. I think the barriers are down. In fact, uh, there's some good demographic sociology evidence that the barriers are further down than they have been in a couple of generations in regards to denominational uh, work and uh, people's resistance to it. They don't really care what religion you're a part of. They're recognizing their need of help. And if you uh, offer them needs of help in the spiritual realm, we don't have to be so, um, I guess, tenuous and afraid to suggest the spiritual and to suggest Bible studies. I think people are actually more open for it. Your experience in Australia, uh, is a good example of that. Australia spoke to be this secular society who has the barriers up in religion. After that secular society is there for a few years, uh, these kids don't learn from their parents uh, the other things, and so they're very open uh, to all sorts of religious things, and we just need to give them the truth in regards to religion so that they don't get off uh, in regards to the others who want to feed them the deception. Any other questions, comments? Yeah. Yeah. the
2: question that, uh, indicated that faster, uh, in some of the that pastors the task in the in the task in the And in the task in the task in the task in I in the few hours the task in I think we're going to see a result of these kind of meetings, and rebirth in the task of of task in 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 the wants to use now that means you're going to have to
0: Alan White makes his statement, and we looked at it, do medical missionary work. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the comments about seeing Groves committed to church. I mean, I'm the same way. We've been taught to think in terms of success evangelistically, in terms of baptisms. And uh, and yet, uh, a number of us have been talking lately about a construct that's very popular in health education today. It's called the trans-theoretical model. Uh, the stages have changed where as you try to help people with their health needs, there are different points. So in other words, just to make this, uh, to illustrate this in the spiritual realm, is it a greater miracle of God to help someone who is receptive to the gospel, doesn't know where to turn to uh, meet them at that point of need, and they make a decision for Christ and come into the church? Is that a greater miracle? Or is it a greater miracle to be working in a very secular environment where people are antagonistic to religion? and as a result of your health ministry, they say, you know, there may be something there. I mean, from a standpoint of health behavior change or lifestyle change, we would say both of those people have made tremendous leaps. But we, as, uh, as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, I often tend to think, well, I'm, you know, I really haven't accomplished it, unless you know, people are making decisions for Christ. Some of you know, this last year, the Lord has impressed me to do more with integrating health and evangelism. I'll just tell you a very brief story about this. Um, I was doing an evangelistic series in uh, eastern Oklahoma, a very small community, and working with a church that really had no had done no pre-work. Uh, they were interested in uh, a health-themed evangelistic series because nothing else was attracting people in their community. And uh, so when we started this, uh, this series... We just did not have much turnout in the community, even though it was a health program. And there were very few non-adventists who came in the meetings. And I was thinking the first week, I'm saying, you know, I would never do this again. And here we did a health series to reach out to the community, and the community didn't come. And now, you know, we're trying to bridge this into, an evangelistic series, and I mean, if I've only got a handful of non is coming to begin with for health, I mean, how many are going to actually stay to the, the end of uh, all these evangelistic presentations? But as I'm thinking this way, uh, the church members start coming up to me, and uh, they start saying things like, you know, we wanted this program to reach out to our community, to we needed it. I mean, this has helped me so much, you know, I'm feeling so much better, my mind is clearer, uh, one of the elders in the church said, you know, usually I come home from my devotions and I try to study and I'd be falling asleep and I'd be exercising and I'm changing my diet and my, you know, my Bible studies improved. Another uh, elder in the small church got up uh, the next Sabbath and said, you know, this is what we need for our outreach to the community. This is what our church wasn't doing and we need this health message. So what I'm saying is, you know, you may go into something or some health ministry or some aspect of, of sharing this vision of health and trying to col- collaborate with the church and the ministry. And even if it doesn't meet uh, what you think is the, the guidelines for success, it doesn't mean the Lord's not believing it. And uh, I like to think, you know, I mentioned an Abrahamic call, but you think of Abraham, uh, there really was not a lot of tangible evidence of success in his calling, if you think about it. It wasn't like reading the book of Acts. We get excited about Abraham because we look through the ages and we see how God used him, used his witness, and used his family. So some of us may be called to uh, a ministry that has hundreds of baptisms. Others of us may be called to do a, a different work, just as faithfully, like Wayne Smith, one of our, our Amen A members, who's in Afghanistan. I'm not. I mean, I'm not expecting him to come back to report that they you know, just baptized a hundred people <laughs> um, but 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 that doesn't make that work any less important. And so the, the council is do medical missionary work, find ways to, to restore this concept of team ministry and this will make changes in the ministry in the church and in the world you know yeah. I think oh over
2: the years we've emphasized the health message as for getting deep the a vegetarian, dropping the meat off. We've, we've created an unhealthy vegetarian in the church. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we, we go to a potluck and everybody flocks to the dessert table. You know, we have to get back and I see a prince now of getting back to the true health message in the church. Mm-hmm. And when we see that happening, you're going to see people on fire for the Lord and you're going to run into this resistance.
4: Well, that's one of the reasons why we have to uh, wed them to uh, the truth of the Word of God. And, of course, part of that truth of the Word of God is uh, what the Word says in regards to the prophetic gift. If we just, uh, uh, you know, Ellen White, in her prophetic gift, said, When sugar is largely used, it's more injurious than meat. Uh, and uh, of course, she has a lot to say about me that has been well proven out. But uh, part of our, part of the, the doctor and the, and the minister working together is my goal is to try to wed the individual to the Word of God and help them to see the truths there. Help them to uh, see this as a treasure house of of pearls that needs to be uncovered uh, that can help them in their daily life. And uh, if we can do that, we will truly be a successful network and have a powerful influence
0: in You know, Ellen White highlights this concept of something better. You know, that's to be the theme of our health education. And i found that when, when I present health material from that perspective of how God is trying to bless you, you know, what, what God, how God wants to enrich your life. If we, if rather than what he's trying to take away, and you've got to give this up and this, here's the list of... Uh, of rules to be a good separate day against health reform. Um, you know, this legalistic approach to, uh, to health really does turn people off. It divides congregations, but uh, I was in a health institution um, some years ago where there was uh, one group of people that uh, were very focused on a very secular type of model of, of uh, nutrition education, learning the vegetarian uh, approach, And I didn't take the approach and kind of pull that down or just it. I just went ahead with some of the other members who wanted to promote the vegetarian uh, cooking classes. And we saw over a period of a few years that um, the the whole pendulum swung there was more interest in those, even the people running the the classes that are teaching people to you know use the more often and whatever else and maybe cleaning needs. Uh, that emphasis completely shifted. And look, we've seen that in many of our health institutions today. We've moved away from even holding up the value of a vegetarian diet because we've become into the mindset of being community hospitals and kind a minister of the community. And so we can lose that vision. The point is not to say we've got to change the hospital system. Do what you can
2: to uplift the truth as a blessing to people, how to help them, and God a that change I've come out with personal experience of learning from
1: Andrew Sweet about and, these programs that teach me along, and, and one of the things he said about how to graduate now is that if your daughter went out with the young guy and you came home after dating him for uh, five weeks instead of being married to you, you'd be up in arms. You no know way, you don't know this guy. said, but that's what we expect out of the evangelism. we did our healthy life. But you would have come really to the evangelism series in five weeks you'd expect out to. But if you think that evangelism is long term and then if you are doing these healthy evangelism and program on a continuous basis and you get people going to Christ and introduced to, to become as a personal savior and teaching them slowly, then after you're doing that and they say, I'd like to you know about your church, that's an easy sell. You know, if you've got to say, I've been dating this guy for a year or two years, I want to get married, you say, Great You know and then their family is now interested in the church as well because they see the, the slow change of the mom or the dad. They see the benefits from that. And then as we look, and say, I'm interested in as well. So you're introducing the whole family to the gospel through the health work. And that becomes a huge self-sufficient so,
0: family. Cheney, do you have any reaction to this? Because, you know, you being deeply rooted in the Vanguard and you've seen people's life change in weeks and others in years and you're years. And years.
3: So do you have Well, I, I've seen great results. I'm very encouraged, actually. Um, because we have to think out of the box and we have to actually think out of North America. Because it is happening in other places around the world, right? People are getting on board. Um, my husband will soon be conducting a meeting in Panama. We have, and uh, in, in Mexico we have like 5,000 call porters working alone for the series. And we have lay people working. Um, we have many things happening and I think in the areas of our health, I saw it in Australia when I was there. I was working with the health director of the conference and I just had one session and I was teaching them how to bridge from the from the physical to the spiritual and from the health programs into the evangelistic and I share many different concepts and things that we could do and they're sharing they're having entire health programs there. they're blending the ministerial and 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 the medical so I'm very encouraged with what can happen and what's on the horizon I see many, many physicians who have a burden to do it God's way and uh um I I see uh, the many ministers that are uh, coming to the plate as well. And so I, I, I think we have um you know, a great great, great possibilities for for the future. I do think that we have some I know we have some challenges. My husband sees it on a worldwide scale at the general conference and we see that. But we also see things happening. I, I just was training in uh, Bible study ministry and in home group ministries, and and I see these young people in Melbourne, and we had asked if there were some young people that would be willing to give a year of their time. We only wanted like 20, 19 or 20 young people that would give a year of their time to just go out and, and do Bible studies and prepare for the series and work with us and over 45 have responded already that they want to work full-time or wondering how, you know, we can keep them going. And I see Melbourne. I mean, Melbourne is a secular city where they say it can't be done. And, you know, nothing can happen. And yet the whole conference, I'm seeing the whole conference is involved with us. I mean, the conference president, the conference treasurer, the conference ministerial secretary, the youth director, The youth director and uh, some of the others from the conference were at my training seminar. In fact, the youth director was at every one of my Bible instructor training seminars there. And so I I see that there are good things happening as well as some of the challenges that we, you know, face uh, in the church with the separation of of the ministry and the medical. I I, I see that um, more and more we can join hands together. I think more of us have to be aware of what the opportunities are to, to blend our talents and gifts together. And so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to working with many health professionals as we set up this training school in, in Portland and we have some other uh, churches, some other pastors from some of the other districts around Manchester and uh, Camden, Maine and some of the other places. We're going to get youth involved and we're going to do a youth series and and so I, I think along with uh, just, just for your encouragement uh, from the ministerial perspective and from the evangelistic perspective, I see hundreds and hundreds of lay people getting on board um, in different countries and working with us. And I think we've got great opportunities in the future, great, great things to look forward to. And I, I would love to see our medical come forward and work with the ministerial more. I know my husband is um, working toward this as well. And, and so, and, and many at the General Conference, I, it's a privilege to work at the General Conference. They have tremendous leaders and great vision. And so I, I'm, I'm encouraged with what the possibilities are. Rich, thanks
0: for sharing everything. You. you know, but the bottom line is we may not be able to do things in as large a way as, as Tini and some of the teams that she and Mark built together, but the Lord is is uh, is calling us, whatever sphere we're in, to do mm-hmm. medical mission uh, in your life. And Neil, I know you have some closing comments. There's has a number of hands, that Neil's going to kind of... Yeah, well, I mean, up. just
4: to also speak brother here on the slow approach versus the fast approach. A so healthy evangelism does allow a slow approach. And, you know, everyone, we've uh, brought in a number of people over the years in our local community through the health message, and every one of those has been a slow approach. A lot of them have attended our church for a year, for a minute, uh, et cetera. Uh, but uh, one of the cautions, in fact, this is one of my greatest weaknesses, if God's praying about it. But one of the cautions in this slow approach is that sometimes we get too complacent to not move the individual further along. Oh, wow. And one of the areas that Ellen White talks about, she says that if anyone gives up an addictive lifestyle habit, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit is working on them. When you see that, you need to draw close to that individual and share with them more because the spirit wants to share with them even more. And part of my challenge is, since I'm going around a lot of different places training the trainers in regards to depression recovery and other things like that, I'm not consistently there enough to help some of my own patients that I think if I were there, I could help lead them along to the this approach is, is one of the challenges. So I'd like our message earlier today. And our brother who said he has more time now for ministry than he did 10 years ago, and uh, I'm certainly praying for that uh, as well. So, uh, uh, but we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't necessarily use that as an, as an excuse. The Lord, when he's putting it on our hearts and when the individual is changing, that's when we need to get close to them and wisely move them along uh, the path of, of seeing the full truth. Well, you've been a very attentive group. I know we have a couple of more hands, but I also know our time is, uh, is up. Uh, we time for lunch. Is it great for the two that
2: have your, your hands raised right up? Yeah. One of our pastors was counseling us that we should not be sheep-stealers. With that in mind, um, I've read recently that there is definite scientific evidence that prayer leads to a higher sense of healing. But it doesn't matter whether it's Hindu prayer, Buddhist prayer, uh, new age of prayer, it doesn't matter what kind of prayer. So, is there really any need for us to push our brand of spirituality in health medicine?
4: Okay, well, you'll, uh, uh, that hope opens up a whole other discussion on the science of prayer. And actually that uh, that science has been brought into a lot of questions lately, and actually been published in some major. Of this science of prayer, probably the best argument to that uh, that I've seen, and he's looked at the signs and shared it with him, is a, a brother by the name of Dick O'Phill, who also has a lot of interest in health. Uh, he has all of his sermons, I think, on the internet. If you would look at prayer uh, and go through that, uh, you would see it from a different, different perspective. Uh, actually, a lot of those studies on prayer are really the trash heap of science. It doesn't prayer isn't as helpful in that generic sense as what was led, led us to believe. It was actually self-selecting and group out, et cetera. Uh, and there are some problems with some of those studies. Our, in regards to sheep stealing and our brand of Christianity. I mean, you know, if you look at Daniel and Revelation, particularly Revelation, you need to realize that, uh, although many people are in saving relationships, we need to make sure that they stay safe. And we know that the deceptions of the end are going to try to lead them to a brand of Christianity that will take them right out of the saving relationship with the Lord. And so uh, we we need to be cognizant of that and make sure that these people stay in a saving relationship uh, with the Lord. And that means we have to to put our brand forward because it's our brand that's going to save them. It's yeah. word of God, yes, we're always accelerated when a, a large number of
2: people come to the region that we have. And this is important to Recently, mm-hmm. I heard a story about March conversion the the mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. 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 that may have been just very minor. I heard he was doing it That's
3: uh, correct. There, there may have been one more. Um, and I out and, but I know he was only one or, the only one, or
4: one or <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Well, thank you very much for your interest. Let's, uh, bow. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing to us through inspiration the work that has no greater possibility, the work that is to open doors for the gospel message, particularly in the last. Assisted. We thank you for your instruction that the last work to be done along ministerial lines will be medical missionary work. And we pray in a special way for this threefold union, each one of our local communities and churches, doctors, and health care providers working together with ministers and working together to teach and instruct our communities to a better way of life. We thank you for hearing and answering this
1: prayer. He